Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the jazz session is also available for free anytime you want it at JazzSession.com and in iTunes. My guest today is saxophonist Chris Potter. I caught up with Chris when he was playing with Dave Holland's band at the Tanglewood Jazz Festival this past Labor Day weekend. Chris is in New York City from January 5th through 10th with his underground band, Adam Rogers on guitar, Craig Taborn on Fender Rhodes, and Nate Smith on drums. You can find out more at villagevanguard.com. Here's music from Chris's album, Ultra Hang. My guest is saxophonist Chris Potter. His new CD is called Ultra Hang. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Now, th- there's been so much talk uh, recently about uh, young people getting into jazz, and I've seen uh, videos of your performances used to illustrate the point that jazz can appeal to kind of all generations of players. Mm-hmm. And one comment that somebody made was, well, you know, Chris Potter's new record is just trying to reach, uh, please the young crowd. And your response mm-hmm. was, really, I'm just trying to please myself. Will you talk more about yeah. that? When I first started listening to music, I'm trying to think back, really, when I really, my first real strong musical memories were, uh, um, well, I was I was always sifting through my, my uh, family's record collection and just kind of finding the record covers that looked interesting and putting them on and seeing what they sounded like. So the things that, that really started grabbing me about music when I was maybe eight or nine, there were a couple things. There was the Beatles... And there were uh, there were a couple like Chicago 
Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy and uh, Junior Wells, some stuff like that. And 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 for some reason, you know, I I think back. I mean, my my life, of course, at that you know, as an eight-year-old growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, my uh, family—they're all kind of in the education business. You know, wouldn't think that there was necessarily a lot that would translate there, but there was just something in that music that I heard that really spoke to me immediately. And um, do you have any idea what that something was? I don't know. It was just a feeling to it that I could really relate to. You know, uh, that just kind of made sense. You know. It spoke to me, and um, you know, so that's kind of my first, my first musical memory, and 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 that kind of led to jazz, and then to the saxophone. You know, it was after that that I started venturing further into their record collection and checking out their Miles records and Charles Lloyd and Dave Brubeck records and stuff. And I decided I wanted to play the saxophone. The Beatles had broken up before I was born, so that was even that had already happened. So, in in the whole kind of framework of things, it didn't didn't feel to me like there had to be some divide you know it was all music that i like or didn't like so that's that's all kind of a preface to saying that uh when i was trying to put a band together to kind of articulate the music that i was kind of hearing in my head that was able to combine all these things you know james brown and duke ellington and messian so well how can we do that you know and it it was really an experiment, and it still remains an experiment. I mean, just the fact that that it's roads and no bass, you know, just the sonic thing by itself was already like, well, how do we, what do we do with that? What kind of music can I write for that, you know? Um, but there was something about it that appealed to me and felt like, okay, that's that feels like something that I want to explore, you know? Because a lot of the music that we're doing, I mean, some of it has a form. A lot of it's fairly free. Like, there's a, there's some melodic content. There's a... Uh, there might be a kind of a basic groove, but then oftentimes when we get into it, I mean, sometimes I'm playing in one key, Adam Rogers is playing in another key, Craig is playing in two or three keys all by himself. <laughs> it's definitely not set up like, okay, let's let's play some smooth jazz here. That's 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 the the furthest thing from from what I wanted to do. But I but I just like groove, you know. Uh, that's one aspect of of something that that I really really like. Trying to figure out how to make like real vital improvised music that can go in a lot of directions, you know, um, using that language has been has been a fun thing for me to explore, and it's been a way for me to throw myself out of out of my comfort element in a way because most of my experience um, when I was growing up was playing much more straight ahead. So if anything, this feels like not being safe for me you know and it's been kind of nice to see that that um that there there seem to be some other people who can relate to that aesthetic especially the generation after me you know really didn't grow up with the beatles or train you know i mean it's 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 40 years ago now you know which doesn't mean that it's over you know the thing that i want to do is is find a way to um to make music that has that kind of depth, you know, and that kind of immediacy, but I figure that it, that the best starting point is to is to think from the present, you know, because they weren't they weren't treating it like a museum music. They were they were always stretching. So that's what we're trying to do. Thank you. 
Was the decision to have the Rhodes drums uh, horn uh, ensemble, was that a kind of an intentional decision from the beginning? If it Was it the kind of thing that you guys, the three of you, were in a room once and it felt like, oh, we could do this? I wasn't sure. You know, I I actually tried a couple gigs with different different kind of things. I tried it with uh, B3. I tried it with electric bass, you know. Basically, it kind of came out because I was familiar with Craig's work, uh, like working with Tim Byrne, which is much different. Uh, definitely not as groove-based, but I could hear that, you know, he he could really keep a bass kind of thing going in one hand and be completely independent with the other. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that's a way to... Maybe there's there's something we can do with that. And uh, Craig's frame of reference is so wide. I mean, he can he can go with Roscoe Mitchell. He can go in that direction. Or or if you say, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Thriller. He he knows what that is too, uh, and a lot of other things there. So, um, you know, so he was he was just completely open aesthetically to what the situation seemed to demand. And and um, and you know, so the other guys in the band. I mean, Adam and Nate. You know, just. Uh, bring such a strong thing to the table in terms of groove but also creativity and listening and being willing to go in a completely different direction on a dime so it kind of came about because of the because of the people involved i mean you know i met nate and i i heard this kind of really kind of groove kind of player but but one that listened more than most you know it never felt like i was playing with a machine it's very uh even if it was a groove part you could feel that he was reacting very very quickly to what was going on in the music and you know that's that's kind of what what i felt it needed We've uh, mentioned all three of the the members by first name, but we should tell people who they are. Uh, yes, so they can. Uh, uh, it's with Craig. More about them. Craig Taborn yep. playing Fender Rhodes, and um, Nate Smith is playing drums, and uh, it's it's with um, Adam Rogers is playing guitar. You mentioned that the the music kind of allows for a lot of exploration. Um, mm-hmm. How did that translate to the actual recording of the record? How much of that was mm-hmm. kind of brought into the studio, fleshed out? How much of it was kind of sketches that you we uh, we were in the fortunate situation of having been on the road a lot um, in the fall. You know, we were out at least a couple months, I guess. And then uh, in January, we we just came and went in, into the studio. A lot of what was hard about it was thinking, you know, because some of the tunes, I mean, they're pretty open-ended. They go from one, like when we're performing live, one might go into the next. You know, there might be a long bridge section. You know, the whole thing might be like 40 minutes long, and we've played two and a half tunes and then gone on to something else. So figuring out how to translate that into a uh, shorter versions of everything because that's that's what i wanted to present you know i i I felt like all right there's there's a fair amount of documentation of what we do live and there's a lot of recordings now that i have of of the band playing live that i might try and release at some point too you know so i wanted something like a more concise document that really had a great studio sound to it um and i was just hoping that we could capture at least some of that energy in the studio because you know it's never the same and it's really a live band i mean you know it it gets into stuff live that that can't be written down. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was what we were trying to do. I felt pretty good with the results that we were able to get a fair cross section of of the new music that we've been playing in a representative kind of way. <laughs> Thank you. 
People come to shows by this band. I'm interested in what the crowds are like. Well, of course, it depends on the venue. You know, um, sometimes we're playing in more traditional kind of jazz clubs. Sometimes it's, you know, festivals in Europe, festivals around. Uh, I am noticing that there are a lot of uh, younger people there, which I, I think is a great sign. I mean, I'm sure a lot of music students. I know a lot of music students. You know, but I'm hoping it's not just music students. Um, I'm hoping uh, it's just general music fans because that's that's kind of what I try and think of you know when i'm when i'm really thinking about it i I think well okay what would i want to hear what what do i really what would kind of turn me on because that's the only barometer i have you know and if it's something i like then i hope someone else will get it too and and the fact that it does have that kind of groove factor you know it's there's just something about certain rhythms i don't know why it is you know certain rhythms it changes over time and certain things seem to resonate in a certain way maybe that has something to do with it you know, but it's almost, I mean, it can almost get into a dance kind of thing, even though, you know, a lot of the time, I mean, there's one of the tunes is in 25, one of them is in 15, a few in 7 and 9, so, so uh, you know, there's some straight up and down 4-4 four, four in there too, but it's not, it's all mixed up. Uh, one thing you just said that I wanted to touch on a little more was that, that idea of having to play stuff that, that you like too. Yeah. Um, Certainly, your your recorded output, I mean, has touched on a lot of different bases. Both your work as a leader and your work with other people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, do you find that you're always having to, or maybe not having to, but but wanting to look for something new to explore some other part of the music that you haven't? Oh yeah, explored yet? yeah. I mean, I'm you know, at some point, I I want to do, you know, well, there's a whole laundry list of things that I can imagine wanting to get involved with. I've um, really found that the underground has been a good vehicle to explore you know a certain side of my personality but maybe not the whole thing i mean i also of course i love playing 
in a more sort of an acoustic setting you know i mean i love playing straight ahead jazz but it almost feels like like you know in, in a in a really straight ahead way i don't i don't mean just because it's acoustic it's straight um but i almost feel like you know maybe the world doesn't exactly need that when you know there's there's no way i can improve on what sunny did you know so let me do my own thing or look for my own thing you know but i can imagine a lot of different contexts that i would want to record and then uh, uh, explore in the future. I mean, I'm I'm uh, sort of in the process now of writing a bunch of music for the Danish radio big band for a concert and hopefully a CD in uh, February. So I'm kind of getting more into large ensemble mode. You know, I've been trying to write and beating my head against the wall, trying to figure out exactly what I want to say with it. But that's that's a fun challenge for me too. You know, that's a completely different thing. I mean, as I said, the underground thing is it's very it comes about very much in an interactive like performance situation way. It's it uh, there's no way it it could be written down. But it's a different challenge to write a bunch of music for a larger group of musicians and you know have that be kind of the framework. That's another challenge for me. Are you writing uh, all new music for that project? Are you arranging some compositions you've already done? I'm hoping to do all completely new music. You know, there are some some things I've already written for big band that that haven't been recorded, and we might we might do some of those too. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see how far I can go with this new stuff. <laughs> Now, uh, we're recording this, uh, we should mention, since this will air long after the fact, at the Tanglewood Jazz Festival, which is, A, why you can hear the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra behind us. But uh, you're here uh, to play with Dave Holland's mm-hmm. octet. How did you first uh, meet Dave Holland? I first met him when I was playing at the Blue Note with Red Rodney, and it was a double bill with Joe Henderson's band. And it was, the time, it was, it was around the time that that uh, um, record that Joe did as a sort of a tribute to Miles came out so Dave was on the record and he was there that's that's really when I first met him you know but of course that was that was a very kind of 
uh, straight-ahead bebop kind of context. So I didn't really play with Dave until a few years later. I called him to play on a recording of mine uh, called Unspoken. I think that was around 1996, 97. Uh, the record company said, well, you know, maybe you can do some kind of all-star kind of thing. Well, okay, let me see if these guys can do it. So I got, you know, I was with Schofield and Dave and was uh, Jack DeJeanette on drums. So... Uh, I showed up at the studio, and there they were, you know, and I was kind of terrified. But once once we started playing, it just felt great. And uh, that's sort of how I, the, our, our real musical relationship began. I think it was maybe a little less than a year after that that uh, he called me to do some stuff with his band. And we've been... We've been working a lot together ever since. I was going to say, yeah, it's been more than a decade now. What is it that so, makes yeah. you guys such a good fit? Well, I mean, for me, you know, he's a... He's he's just such a great musician. I mean, you know, having the chance to play with Dave Holland on bass behind you, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. And it's I'm, it's a situation that that offers all of us a lot of freedom. You know, um, I'd say that Dave is very good at cultivating that that thing that I've that I've really tried to learn. This is this is something I've noticed. A lot of people that that worked with Miles have is that idea that that you hire people for what they do, and you let them make mistakes, and and uh, you know. You know, you give them a lot of rope, <laughs> and uh, hopefully they'll they'll eventually find it. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I have done and probably do that. You know, I think, well, maybe that's not. Uh, let's let him let's let him see where it is. So that kind of generosity, I think, is important to really building, you know, really building a band sound. That kind of trust, um, uh, and it's given me the freedom to to be mainly using his music I mean we all write for the band but you know still able to explore what I want to explore uh, my guest is Chris Potter the new album is called Ultra Hang it's been a lot of fun talking with you man thanks very much for doing it thank you thanks Chris
That's Chris Potter. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by All About Jazz, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Just about a week left until the Respect Sextet takes the stage at Le Poisson Rouge at the site of the old Village Gate on January 12th. Opening for them will be Ethan Iverson of the Bad Plus. You can find out more at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.